Oh, my booty's starting to hurt on this seat. Oh. Welcome to the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, the internet's home for motorcycle mediocrity. Your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but I've seen any go on to be an asshole? Oh, baby. I don't know, did it wheelie? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt. But these new new ways kit my... Alright, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The people who make it happen. The first bike I ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage. It's a cafe racer with alloy manx racing tank and clip-ons and all that jazz. And the thing's beautiful. I just love the way the Norton sounds. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Right. So that's where she lives now. Oh, man, bro. I was doing 200 miles an hour, and my fingers are coming off the grips. This is in and out of traffic. Um, I got to wheelie through an intersection on that. <laughs> Rad. Yeah, it was a little unexpected, but I got some applause from the homeless guy at the bus dip, bus bench. That was pretty fun. I think my dad first gave me my first motorcycle, which was a Kiwi 80, when I was four years old. And the first thing I did was look in the bushes, showing mum how cool it was. Well, come, all right, technically all chaps are assholes, right? Or else yeah, they just tech- do with yeah, that's, we decided that you can call anything without an ass on it assless. All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like the back of the bike will hop real bad and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it. And I would go to Jesse's and hang out upstairs in the whole building at West Coast Choppers. And he let me sit there and just watch him. Uh, right now, I'm drinking a stone rumination, um, but that's not all I do. Earlier today, I was... <laughs> I was working on a BMW R90. Let's get started. Indeed, indeed. Well, welcome back to another fabulous episode of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast, where I hope that you will enjoy what I have in store for you today. Um, well, what do I have in store for you today? I got a couple things to talk about, mostly flat track related. I want to tell you a little bit about the going around on a dirt circle. Um, I also want to tell you a little bit about a movie, talk about some bike updates that uh, have been happening around this world of ours, and I, I want to get into the topic, talking about bike updates of building a bike. I've been talking with people and actually working on my bike now for a little bit, working on writing an article, and it turns out that there's so many resources on building your own bike and how to do it and this and that that kind of thought it would make it worthwhile to tease it a little bit on this show, even though I'm not fully 100% ready to tell you what I've been doing. So to get off, uh, get off, to get off high speed, have a high speed get off right here in the first uh, three minutes of the show, I did want to talk about the Solstice Slam. If you remember last year's Solstice Slam, it didn't really happen around the Solstice. It was more around the equinox and i forget if it's the uh this is the vernal or whatever this is called not 100 percent sure i'm not a salutatorian or an astronomer uh at any rate this year's solstice slam so aptly named because it does not happen on the solstice is going to be on march 24th if you don't 
know what last year's social slam was about it was your chance to chime in we got a handful of submissions great stuff from all around the world uh we just want to hear your story what are you working on what are you looking forward to for 2017 now that the world's going to hell in a handbasket what sort of bikes do you ride how did you get your start in motorcycling do you have any awesome crash stories uh you know anything like that what you know the solstice slam is basically your show this show in general is your show but the solstice slam is your chance to actually submit something that you made that'll get on the show it's almost like arts and crafts show or you know something like that but all you got to do is use a recording device on your phone on your computer an actual microphone onto a piece of magnetic tape like they did back in the day and however you need to do it email it to creative writing podcast at gmail.com that's creative writing podcast at gmail.com all one long glorious word and uh just you know email a wave file or an mp3 or whatever the heck you want to do um i'm assuming it's not going to be like hugely amounts of megabytes um just hugely amounts of awesomeness and whatever you send me i will put it in and uh it's gonna be great so that's the soul slam in a nutshell this is me in a nutshell. Hey, I'm in this nutshell. How do I get out now? That's Christopher walking in a nutshell, actually. So, yeah, that is the Solstice Slam. And uh, I just wanted to mention that that is going to be coming up just so that you have some time to get something down and get it into us. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, well, if I didn't tell you and you didn't see the videos and I didn't see you or... What else things I didn't do? I don't know. It's late. I'm going to quit blabbing on. Anyways, I went to a flat track race and I talked about it at length about going to it and how excited I was. And for good reason, I went there with my daughter. So I did not ride down. I did not ride down to race. And I definitely did not let my kid race. But uh, I have to say that I came away with a different perspective than I have had in the past of the Ivy League's events. And I'll talk to you at great length about that in one second. Um, first off, it's always nice to get somebody else's perspective on this, uh, these types of things, because I've gone to a few. I've seen how they work. They're fast-paced. They're great. They're entertaining. Uh, they always put on a great show. This time around, I saw some racers that uh, I've never seen such poor sportsmanship before, and I was really surprised. I saw some really bad sportsmanship this time around, and it really t- it took me back. You know, t- it took me aback. It took my back when I saw um, the way some of the people were were behaving out there on the track. But when I first got there, I did what I do at every motorcycle show. Instead of enjoying the show, I walked around, made a few connections, talked to people in the racing, uh, who, you know, I guess that means racers, people that were in there in the racing out there on the track. Um, the short term for that is racers. It's like how the French have a word for everything. So do we. And it's just uh, easier if you use that word rather than calling them the people in the race that go around the track. But um, I'll try to work on that for future shows. So anyway, yeah, I talked to some racers, talked to some builders, ran into Dave from Cerberus Motorcycles, and 
Oh, I have to say, I took some great pictures of Dave's bike. I saw this Ichiban Moto sticker. If you don't know who Ichiban Moto is, um, you're already out of this loop. But <clears throat> I saw the Ichiban Moto sticker, first one I've ever seen in the wild, and uh, had to take a picture of it. And he came over and he was just tickled pink that uh, I loved his Ichiban Moto sticker. He was super nice to my daughter. And then we started talking and I started to realize who he was. And we talked even further. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, you know, you, enough of my perspective, uh, let's, let's talk to someone else about this too. I, I'd like to Bry Viffer, our field producer was out there, our honorary field producer. This guy has sent us uh, so much material and talked to us so much and refuses to not like us, uh, no matter what, how badly we treat him. So, uh, I think we only give him his fair airtime on here and let's ask his opinion, what he thought about the Ivy league flat track and their presentation. All righty, let's just walk out here to the garage and give old Bri Viffer a ring-a-ding-ding on the old horn, why don't we? Hey. All right, we've established contact with field reporter Bri Viffer. We're going to have a little discussion about flat track and some other motorcycle things in general. So hold on to your gardening pamphlets, Grandpa. It's about to get real up in here. I wanted to ask you about what you thought about the, um, with flat track season coming up and everything, um, what you thought about the Ivy League presentation. Well, I, I thought it was pretty neat. And it had been a few years, really, I think, um, at least two years since I'd been to the Costa Mesa flat track. Uh, or the speedway up there, um, and ever since I heard you talking about the uh, the Ivy League and and uh, the Paris one is really close to me. Yeah, um, but that one hadn't come up. So as soon as I heard about the Del Mar, I was like, oh, I got to check it out. Um, but I, yeah, I thought it was neat. Um, I, it was so fast paced. I mean, it was like nonstop uh, races going around. Yeah, um, I thought it was kind of neat how. It was like it was a mix of. Um, I mean, it was it was either uh, like converted dirt bikes or or flat track bikes, and then sometimes you know a few races in there they had them uh, they had them mixed up in there. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, um, I, I was just used to in Costa Mesa. It's all like real dedicated uh, uh, flat track bikes. Yeah, the, so the Costa Mesa uh, the speedway it's. Um, uh, it's not as fast paced. Um, the riders are, I guess they're, they're really more local, I guess. And, uh, and they become, uh, kind of known to the, uh, to the crowds. Um, like there's every time I, I went, there was always a guy that like was dressed in full Spider-Man leathers, you know? So he had like that, that whole, uh, that whole thing going for him. Uh, but there, I mean, it was all dedicated flat track bikes and uh, uh, even racing, you know, like uh, the, they're all very well uh, uh, on, on the same level, you know. Yeah. Were they on the 450s? Because I've gone to Paris before. And for the most part, Paris, uh, which is like the Southern California Flat Track Association or whatever, has the it's short track. So they're not racing they're basically racing modified dirt bikes. They just take 
sometimes don't even take the front fender off, just throw like those DT1 style tires on there and run them. No. Is that what they're running at Costa Mesa? No, they're, um, uh, I think they're big singles. They're, oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what what size what what size are those like six hundreds or nine hundred or something. Some of them, single, yeah, so. depends. Um, yeah, the biggest singles I think are like six fifties. They have and stuff like that, and uh, they might have shoot. I can't think of a seven hundred single modern, but uh, I mean they might have them. They might race. They might have some still around. Um, but the a lot of the guys run the four fifties and I maybe five hundreds. So I did a little digging just to make sure and to verify for myself. And at Paris, they have classes from, uh, you know, 85 cc for youth uh, to 100 and 250 cc is the biggest the youth can ride. And then in the regular and vintage classes and everything, the biggest I saw was 540 singles. They do have a 750 twins, but I think they're running smaller bikes right around 450 or so. Um, but. Yeah, Paris, it's kind of like short track bikes, which they used to, you know, the AMA used to run up until this year. So now they're going to be doing all the stuff, everything on twins, if you're in the twins class and everything on singles, if you're in the singles class, doesn't matter what track. So I think it's going to be a little bit more exciting because before the only way they were all racing the same bikes, the G they called it GNC one and two, the two was like the up and coming. And the only way you really knew the difference is because the different colored number plates, you know what I mean? They were still racing big twins on the, on the miles and stuff. So I don't know how they really differentiated except for maybe lap times or, or what it was kind of confusing, but, um, but yeah, Paris, the only guys I've ever seen run big bikes is hooligan class. And uh, yeah, so for for me, uh, all last year and, and most of 2015, because um, Ivy League really only started in late 2014. And okay. so they, their first full year was 2015. And then last year, they just blew up and went all over. And this year, I think they're only going to be in San Diego. Um, they've got a bunch of other stuff where they're traveling again. Like last year, they kind of set up with, uh, they kind of got in with Indian and the law tigers and Roland sands. And they kind of went on the tour basically. And they still yeah. had three or four races in San Diego, but then they spread them out across the country. And this year, I think they're just going to hit one stop, um, every few cities or something like that. So I think they're kind of touring now, if you want to say that, but, um, Every every time I've seen them, the pace is incredible. There's literally the only downtime is when they're prepping the track. You know what I mean? Like they run such a tight oh, show yeah. that it's amazing to watch. As soon as their guys are coming off that cool down lap or like the checkered flag lap, they got the next guy staging yeah. up. You know what I mean? So and yeah, yeah. I mean, I was impressed with how how you know it was a well oiled machine the way they had uh, those those guys ready to roll. Yeah. And when we, when I did it, um, it was racing at the fair uh, in 2015. I, I didn't do it at all last year. Um, so the, so in 2015, when they did it, they kind of had this time constraint put on by the you know the the uh, Del Mar Fair, the San Diego County Fair, whatever they call it, where they had to have X amount of stuff run off, and you only have this many hours, and we you know the arena's booked, so you got to make it go or or no you know it's either no or go so when they had a you know they were just 
like you said, a well-oiled machine pretty much sums it up. They just, everybody was off. And then by the end of the allotted time, they were just out of there. You know what I mean? And I think they're pretty good at that. Every single event I've ever been to that they put on is pretty much just like that. It's go, 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 go. And then they'll take like a half an hour or 20 minute track prep. And then it starts over because you you basically watch the heats and the qualifiers and then starts over again with the mains. And you're like, wow, this is just like zooming by, you know? Um, so you went on Saturday night and, uh, last time we talked, I had a a little bit more facial hair, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, I think so. And I had a, a Harry Potter dance with my daughter. So I decided Harry, you know, Harry Potter doesn't have any facial hair. So I I shaved it off and I was like, yeah, nobody's going to recognize me there. And then I, I bumped into some people that, um, I ran into at born free and kind of reestablished some connections and, and talked to him about coming on the show. And I know they were just scratching their heads, looking at me like I've never met you before. (laughs) So I felt like I was in disguise there a little bit. Plus I had my daughter with me. So, you know, everyone's looking at me like, dude, you're crazy. We never met before. (laughs) So it was kind of funny. I don't think you would recognize me if you, if you saw me there, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was, it was interesting. And I didn't go to the matinee show, but uh, the night show. What did you What did you think of that? Uh, what did you, like aside from being like just super fast paced? Uh, what What did you think about the end? Uh, well, you know, actually, I didn't even stick around to the end. We uh, We stayed pretty late, but we didn't go to the very end. Jeez, um, uh, I, I can't remember what time we left. Uh, we We saw, I think, about a. Um, least a half a dozen races after the the truck came out and you know yeah. if you don't stuff so uh but yeah no so yeah i don't know what what happened at the end well were you there when they said the city was shutting them down uh-uh. okay because no, that time? that was like just after nine i guess they said that they the city of del mar was right. not was not allowed to or was shutting them down and i swear i've stayed the last races I went to there last year, uh, the season opener, I swore it went till 10, right? But they were getting noise complaints from the city or something like that. And they had, and I didn't know if it was for show or not. I'm going to talk to them, talk to the, you know, the promoter and the creator guy and see how much of that was show and how much of that was just was real because he said that they were going to give him 20 minutes and they, they did, they cut the races down from like five to like three laps to squeeze in, to make sure they got all the last classes to run. But you must've left Uh. right before that because I didn't even stay till the very end. I I left when they were saying, you know, they were saying, shutting up, nope, we're shutting it down. And what happened was as a result of that, they were trying to finish the mains. You know, the hooligan class was just stacked too. There was like, God, like seemed like 30 guys. I know there was probably really only like 15 out there or 20, but um, when they got the last uh, race that they had said, okay, the city's shutting us down. And then somebody said something to somebody and he says, okay, they're giving us 20 minutes. That race went and everybody was just like, okay, okay. And they all went in and they went and it was, it was just a, your typical like pro race. I think it was. And then, Uh Right after that, the hooligan class came out and they were trying to get them around as fast as possible. And those guys just started eating it. 
into each other. And there was a pretty minor crash. The red flagged it. They restarted it, made it a couple laps. And then one guy went down kind of toward the front and people just started to pile up on him. And it was the far, um, the wall away from the checkered flag, you know? So they really were just coming around that first couple set of turns. And then everybody, everybody just started piling up against that wall. And there had to be like five bikes or four bikes on top of the, the bottom one. And I was thinking there's a guy under there, you know, and they start pulling yeah. all the bikes off and getting everyone out and resetting it. And it just seemed like since they were forced with this time issue that it became like carnage at the end and started to fall apart. And I've never seen that before. I've never seen uh, them run up against time like that. And I swear they've gone till 10 before. And he said, you know, they might shut us down. They might try to shut us down for the show, but they're not going to shut down our after party or the music we have planned. So I guess they just had no intention. Um, But those, those motors are loud. I mean, you could hear them out in the parking lot pretty loud. And, yeah, but if I mean it, it's so far away from any residential, I can't imagine yeah. you know who, who would be complaining about that. Neither me, neither. The only thing I could figure is that maybe those people on the hill behind it. I mean, it does. It seems so far away, but maybe at night when it's all quiet, the noise is carrying up there. And I mean, it's like Del Mar, Solana Beach. Everybody's hoity-toity and you know <laughs> trying to enjoy their yeah, champagne or whatever. So um, yeah. That- the flat track is a far cry from uh, from the horse races that they're used to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's so funny. My daughter saw the guys in the car and she kept saying, Dad, look at those. They're, those are girls in the car. She was all excited that girls were jumping in the car. And I was like, honey, those are what you would call a stony bro. And she said, no, those are girls. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, honey, no. You know, uh, she's just like so used to seeing like girls have long hair and guys have short hair. I said, no, babe, these yeah. are, those are just some, you know, I didn't tell our dirt heads or whatever. But I said, you know, dad used to have long hair when he was younger too. That, trust me. I, those aren't girls, but she was excited. She was excited too, to see girls out there on the track. So I, I just let her guy said, okay, yeah, those are, those girls are jumping that car. And, but no, I thought it was a, pre- I thought it was a pretty good show and I thought it did run, like their usual events. And it just was up until that end point where I was really surprised that they, uh, I, I assumed that it wasn't staged because he said, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, he said, I've never had this happen before here at Del Mar. I'm so sorry. And then, you know, everybody was kind of waiting at the line and they weren't getting the green flag and they were really talking to someone. So I, I really wasn't sure if it was staged or what, but he's never said that before. And, um, I don't know why they would do that for make a big show, but yeah, then after, you know, after people started to crash cause they were trying to get done so fast that he said, we're pulling the cord. So that's when I left, I figured, you know what? Uh, it's, it is getting late. It was, it was after nine. Obviously the city doesn't want him to go anymore. They're, and he's, getting people hurt and they don't want to go anymore. But then as soon as I left and I walk out and I, you know, said bye to a few people and it was out in the parking lot, right as I'm about to get in my car with my daughter, I, I hear the motor start up again. And I thought, Oh man. So I don't, I really don't know how much longer it went uh, either, to be honest. But, um, yeah. well, I, I guess we left a little bit earlier than I thought. Cause I, I thought we were there until like nine thirty or so, but, um, uh, maybe, maybe it was earlier, but, but I know, like, I didn't see that big pile up. But um, when they started putting, uh, geez, uh, like, ten or more people on the on the track at once, 
and especially because at, at that point the track was getting kind of gnarly <laughs> and they're getting little ruts here and there and i mean the guys would slide into them and and like their their front tire would hit a rut and and catch and and you know they'd go like they'd fishtail a little bit and they, you'd swear they're they're gonna bang into each other and i, I thought it was gonna get you know really chaotic but yeah in, in a way it, it made it more exciting but I don't know, on, on TV, I think that's fun to watch. But when you see it in, you know, in real life, you're like, oh, man, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. And, and, it, and it throws off their line just enough to where they bang bars coming out of corners, like because they can't sit down where they want to. And yeah, coming out of the that last corner right there, I guess it'd be turn number four before the starting uh, you know, finish line. They are coming back up from lean. And then, yeah, they're they're banging bar ends and all sorts of stuff coming out of those ruts. And uh, I've looked at it before, and it always seems to be the entry corner where they're starting to lay the bikes over and where they're starting to, like, maybe use the brake because none of them have front brakes. So maybe the the rear is sliding, and it just starts a rut. And then once that happens, the tire's hitting it and backing it in again and everything just, like, perpetuates. And then, like you're saying, they have this little dip there now, and it totally – throws this like whole different variable into the corner when two guys are already coming in inches away from each other, dicing it up. And then all of a sudden there's like a, a, a bump or a jump. And yeah, they, it, it's, it's so funny because, um, you, it looks so flat and so easy, but when you're out there, it doesn't feel so, you know what I mean? It just, it feels a lot different. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. even for, for bike, that are completely set up for it just to see them getting all sideways and, and crazy and it was i mean it, it just looked really gnarly out there you know yeah did you guys um from a spectator point of view did it look like something that you would want to do next year um i would my the my buddy i went with kevin he um uh he was like nah i like i like costa mesa better he liked uh he liked you know it, that it was there was a little more time in between. He liked that he knew a few of the guys that he could follow that he's been following. You know, it's the same guys that have been racing for years. Um, so it, it wasn't quite up his alley, but I liked it, and I, I mean, I would definitely go go back and see it again. I'd like to see it in Paris. That is one thing that because even when the pros come there, you never know who exactly is going to show up. If I remember correctly. You know, Davis Fisher was maybe there last year. I don't remember if he was on the new um, Indian or what it was, you know, but everybody's just looking for seat time and it's just, it's not even a regional, it's just a thing, you know, it's not even like a scored series or anything like that. So like, hey man, this is really great. I'll just show up here and it's close to Paris and everybody kind of comes here during the winter anyway to practice while it's warm. But yeah, yeah, that... what I'd like to, what I'm kind of um, interested in is, um, I mean, the the Ivy League was cool, um, but it was definitely uh, a lot of guys that, that have been they um, been riding the bikes they've got for a while. You can tell, um, but I'm I'm really um, interested to to see the uh, the Indians when they start being a little more active because it, it's just. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've professed to have like a, an affinity for Indians for whatever reason, but. Um, but regardless, if it, I just love if it was any um, uh, manufacturer, I just love that there's a big concerted uh, manufacturer's effort to get into it. I think the I think the bikes are 
they're making look really great. And I, I think um, the way they turned the scout into a, a cool looking flat tracker, yeah. I, I think it looks good. And I, I'm, I'm now that there's going to be some real performance behind it. I'm curious to see how they're going to, uh, you know, how they'll behave on, on the track. And, you know, um, I think it'll be good for the sport and I think it's going to be good for them to, um, you know, to show like a, a major brand behind it. And, you know, the old adage of, uh, uh, race on Sunday and, and or win on Sunday and sell on Monday. Yeah, I, I don't know if that will translate over to the world of, of Indian and, and the flat track bikes or if it'll mean more scout sales for them. But um, I, I just like the fact that there's a big concerted effort to, um, to I mean, it's almost like factory teams almost. Yeah. You know, it's just the, a bike, a well built bike that, that a lot of guys, it's, it's not, um, priced out of range, you know, so a lot of guys can get them and, and race them. I think that's going to be neat to watch. That's not me hacking up a lung. That's a song. I'm going to let it roll here in the background. But yeah, so round one, uh, early season flat tracking, we'll call this, is is in the books. And it was uh, really good talking to, to Bri. We'll talk to him a little bit later regarding some other stuff. But yeah, basically round one went down. Uh, posted up some stuff on Facebook page that you can check out of uh, stuff that Mark Atkins from Rusty Butcher had posted up. I didn't realize that it was him that went down initially that had that four bike or five bike pile up. But um, yeah, he's got a pretty good uh, recount of it. And I guess he busted his wrist. So uh, didn't end up racing on Sunday. But yeah, there are, I mean, that whole race shenanigans that went down. It was a, it was a fun spectator sport um, for sure. I love the fact that Ivy League just puts those things on like blasting out of the gate you know what i mean the fact that they can just like keep it rolling keep the show going and uh nobody has to suffer for it as far as like downtime that's why i hate sticking the ball sports which i heard there's some football game going on this sunday that people are going to be watching and when you watch those things live it's like all this downtime and airtime uh for commercials and stuff like that and blah 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 well when you go to racing especially if uh, a good crew puts it on like that there's very little downtime very little waiting so it's really exciting for me and uh his buddy can just not come anymore if that's how he feels about it so hey if you're interested in seeing an ivy league flat track event their next show will be the concrete clash on the coast which is going to be uh concrete clash on the coast presented by harley davidson law tigers sns cycle and vance and hines at the ocean center arena 101 north atlantic avenue daytona beach florida and barry boone is going to be there of course barry boone being the aft longtime ama uh flat track announcer so that's going to be pretty cool um that's going to be march 17th uh 2017 so that's going to coincide with the AMA uh, Pro Flat Track or American Flat Track uh, series which starts on the 16th of course and also Bike Week so Daytona Bike Week is going to be happening and that's going to be part of the entertainment so uh, you know they're really linking up with the events that are traveling around the country and providing basically what I consider like a a more grassroots approach and a show compared to just like the 
the uh, the main sport. You know what I mean? So they're they're like an augmentation, really. Um, a little bit closer than that is going to be next weekend. Mama Tried's Flat Out Friday is going to be going down on the, what is that Friday? The 17th, I think it is. And there's going to be a Charlotte Canes Memorial Race. I think you can go to flatoutfriday.com. I believe there's a link that you can click on and you may be able to donate uh, per lap. There's, uh, There's a 35 lap memorial race. And it says how to contribute. We're honored to host the Charlotte Canes 35 lap memorial race. And in the spirit of Charlotte's competitiveness, we're itching to grow the pro purse. So Flat Out Friday has contributed $6,000 to bring the pros. But we'd love you to up the ante. Um, you can buy in a lap in your name for 100 bucks. Um, there's a link to click there. So just go to flatoutfriday.com. You'll see the Charlotte Canes Memorial Race uh, icon, and you can click on that, and that'll take you uh, directly to that page. But, yeah, I thought that's pretty cool. I really thought it was uh, a fun event. You know what I mean? Of course, you got the Mama Tried show, but also see some cool indoor flat track syrup races is going to be pretty sweet. So at 4 p.m., are the heats and semis and it goes all the way to 8 30 p.m on the main start probably run that till 9 30 which is the open pits so that ought to to be pretty fun so there you go there's two kind of grassroots things going there coinciding with american flat track and that's what i want to talk about next big news this year coming out of aft Part of it is, you know, Brian and I talked for quite a long time about Indian and and Harley and whatnot and the rivalry and the whole growing the brand and everything I've kind of talked about, um, even going back many episodes ago to 44, which was how do you market a motorcycle? How do you bring a motorcycle? And what does American Flat Track mean for these two remaining American brands? Basically, Harley announced on the 28th that they have a three-rider squad to come out against the Indian squad, which if you know, if you heard me talk a couple weeks ago, Indian has basically poached the top three riders of the series, in my opinion, but also let's not let the past couple years speak for itself. And they were Harley Davidson's factory riders. They, you know, Brad Baker, Jared Meese, and then they also got Brian Smith, who was a longtime Kawasaki rider, and uh, snatched those guys for the Indian wrecking crew. Well, now Harley's answered with their triple threat and they actually have a factory flat track racing team that consists this year of Kenny Coolbeth Jr., Jake Johnson, and Brandon Robinson. Kenny Coolbeth hasn't won a championship in quite a long time. He's been racing Harley Davidsons, but he's coming back to the factory team. He's been on the Zanotti uh, racing. That was easy for me to say. Uh, Zanotti racing Harley Davidson for the longest of times. And, you know, he's got, he's just, he's a cool guy. He's, he's almost forty, so he's probably one of the older guys in the series. Um, he's been doing it a long time, but he, you know, people kind of forget that he, since he's been out of the spotlight. The you know, Meese and Baker have just been in the spotlight, going to the Super Prestigio and all this stuff. People kind of forget that that Coolbeth uh, was a championship uh, championship winner there for like three years in a row, I think. And so he's back on the uh, Harley XG. 750R. There, uh, we'll talk about the bike in a second, but also Jake Johnson, who was a consecutive two-time winner, and Brandon Robinson, who's just been flying up, you know, through the 
ranks ever since he started. Uh, all of them pretty seasoned on Harley Davidson. So that's cool that they they're coming back with an answer to uh you know indians wrecking crew they made the announcement uh i believe it was during an abc coverage of the x games in aspen and they intend to take the xg out to the x games in minneapolis where they're going to do flat tracking and you know kenny coolbeth and I mean, all three of these guys have expressed that it'd be really cool. You know, who's going to get the first win on the new XG 750R? And so they're all excited about that. I mean, that's just, it's just, if it, nothing else pumps you up for Harley Davidson racing ever since they did away with the uh, XR 1200 series, um, you know, road racing, this ought to get you pumped up. We'll talk about the new XG 750R in a second. But, you know, I really can't give enough credit to these guys for the, you know, the sheer magnitude of the task at hand now going against the top three riders that that Indians poached away. So that's pretty cool in and of itself. I wanted to mention here a little blurb from the AFT site that uh, flat tracking is entering its 64th consecutive season. American flat track is the most historic form of American motorcycle racing. So for 64 seasons, this XR750 that's getting phased out has been the dominant bike for most of those 64 seasons. For something like 40 years, this thing has been the most successful, most race-winningest bike on the track. So... You know, everybody, all the Harley faithful have just put down the street models and how crummy and crappy they are. And they're not real Harleys, just like the V-Rod wasn't a real Harley just because they're water-cooled. And nobody would be caught dead on the street because it's not a big bagger. All that great stuff aside, I can tell you that the hooligan classes that we go to watch locally here, they are embracing the Street 750. I believe... Uh, Scott Jones at Noise Cycles had one given to him, as did, I believe, some of the Rusty Butcher guys uh, and maybe Suicide Machine Co. or someone else that I am that I can't think of right off the top of my head. Given these things specifically for the purpose of turning them into flat track hooligan bikes, right? So these things are legit. And now we're going to see it. The XG750R is going to be the only bike used by the factory Harley team totally replacing the old air-cooled XR750. Not to say people won't still run them, but it's not going to be the factory-backed motorcycle. And last year, we saw lots of development uh, by Davis Fisher running this thing. You know, a few of the guys might have ran it in the off-season or for testing and stuff like that, but everybody's looking forward to riding it, and they've all expressed how good they feel right off the bat. Um, You know, Harley's saying, listen, if you ride down to Bike Week, Come down, you know, go right down to the TT, check us out, support the team and, you know, back your brand, boys, because if you're a true Harley fan, you should just love watching this thing dominate. And who cares if it's water cooled, right? I don't care. I'm actually proud of it. You know, when we we talked about this bike a little bit while a while ago, talking about how not only for emissions for the street bikes, but also for performance on the track, there's only so much you can do with uh, air cooled motor and you know you got to get rid of heat you got to deal with other things that the the engine goes through while you're racing Um, anything that makes it run cooler and a little bit more efficient means that you can just turn those knobs up a little higher and get eke more performance out of it so we're really going to see some really cool stuff coming out of the factory 
and any indie and even the XR. I'm sure that thing is still going to be as competitive as all hell. So keep your eyes peeled. We'll see what the Indian does. We'll see what the Harley does. And uh, maybe somebody will sneak in on a Kawasaki or finally one of those Ducatis or, or BMWs even. There's BMWs that have raced in the Twins class. So we'll see if somebody else can sneak up and get some victories. See if we can see some names resurrected this year, along with you know brands like Indian making a comeback. Maybe we'll see guys like uh, you know Sammy Halbert come back. Slamming Sammy. Henry Wiles made himself famous for winning the Peoria TT 93,000 times. Since there's going to be three TT races this year, maybe we'll see Henry Wiles making a big comeback and making a name for himself again. Keep an eye out in all the classes. We might, you know, J.D. Beach may be back around. Uh, even Hayden Gillum. All the guys that may be racing in the uh, singles classes. I mean, there's going to be a lot of names that we see rising to the surface here. So keep an eye out for all that. And hopefully we see all those guys back out on the track doing their thing this year. All right. Let's keep this Harley focused, but move on to something uh, a little different. Hey, before we get into the next part of the show, I, I kind of wanted to give a shout out to somebody who likes Harleys and somebody who likes all bikes. And that's Dan Michael over at DailyBikers.com. Daily Bikers is a blog that features a dork on two wheels, as he calls himself. But actually, Dan is a very well-spoken guy. He's one hell of a motorcyclist. He actually quit his last job since we last talked to him on the show to start life as a moto posty uh, mail delivery guy. You know those people that get those posty bikes and then ride them all around the world, those 125 cc's that the Australian Post use? Well, Dan rides those every day. That's right. He's a moto posty. Not only that, but he is one hell of an artist. And if you go check out his site, dailybikers.com, go to the shop tab or check him out in Etsy. Look for Daily Bikers. You can find all sorts of great stuff. Wrapping paper. You can find pillowcases, prints, birthday cards, candles, candy tins. I mean, what can't you find? If you ask Dan, he'll probably make it. You need a pair of socks? Dan will make it. You need a pair of scissors? Dan will make it. Dan, you won't, no, he won't, he won't make it. But go check him out, dailybikers.com. All right, before I jump off of the Harley ship here and start swimming into uncharted territory, I did want to talk about, you know, it's not just the flat track series that has me captivated. It's also that Harley Davidson has been in the news 3,000 times this year. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is that Harley Davidson uh, is scheduled to have a talk with Trump. Actually, Harley Davidson did have a talk with Trump. And uh, if you don't know who Trump is, he's a guy that owns lots of businesses, has a TV show called The Apprentice. Um, He's been an actor similar to Ronald Reagan, who was uh, an actor before becoming president. And he's also the president. Now, Harley Davidson needed to talk to him about something who knows what. And, and, uh, I, I, the details haven't been disclosed as of yet, but some of the basic things that, uh, they said they wanted to talk to him about were it's global presence. So Harley Davidson is sold outside the U S we know that it's also manufactured in two plants outside the U S one in Brazil and one in, I hope I pronounce this correct. Harinya, India. Harinia. And uh, basically, 
the trade agreements that we're going through, we hardly, we don't think about this and we're not a political show by any means, but when you have something like motorcycles, you know, the beef ban and all that crazy stuff, we've had a lot of recent trade things affecting motorcycles and the lifestyle that we want to live over here. Everyone's getting crazy political right now because of uh, who we've elected as king over here in, in the States. And so basically it, you know, the, it doesn't phase me that and more stuff is coming up, especially from Harley Davidson. They've been embroiled all year. They've, been, they've laid off over 200 people last year. We talked about how they were cutting jobs to increase their marketing budget last year. They ended up laying off 200 people in December. The dealerships were complaining that Harley Davidson was pumping up their numbers by counting off units sold. Well, units sold means units sold to dealerships, and they were forcing the dealerships to take these bikes to inflate their sales numbers. Uh, Eventually, that caught up with them. Also, we know that there's been a couple different things regarding Harley Davidson ABS brakes going bad and causing you know, a recall on the brakes because of, of, uh, liquid or not liquid, but water buildup in the fluid and the, and the ABS not working right. Um, we, the whole tuner thing, you know, they had to go through, they had to pay a massive fine and do contingencies around Wisconsin to convert certain number of stoves to pellet burning stoves as, you know, punishment, not only nationwide, but also local. So they've just been in trouble with the EPA, the DOD, the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, SNS, uh, CNR, ABCD, EFLMNOP. You get what I'm, you get the gist, right? So here's Harley now going to the president saying, hey man, we're concerned about your plans on trade issues and things like that, probably especially because the uh, the Trans uh, Pacific Partnership or whatever that kind of I was just listening to an episode of Freakonomics that actually by striking that down that gave more power to China and China he's complained about China. I mean, everybody's complaining about China. Everybody rides their Harleys down to Walmart and goes and buy their shit that's made in China. Everything in Walmart is made in China, people. Like, everything everywhere. Look at anything you have. It's made in China, right? And uh, the earbuds and phone and everything you're probably listening on right now, made in China. So it's sad that by striking that down, we're going to give more power to China. And I could see that if Harley's worrying about its plants in India right now, uh, you know, what's that going to do? The Indian market, as far as I know, is not all 125s and stuff like that. There's a big Harley uh, contingency over there. So I bet they're wonder- worried about that. I bet they're worried about uh, the trade agreements that are going to take place if we since we struck down the Trans-Pacific Partnership and all that stuff. And we are going to be giving... China a hell of a lot more control in that region without getting other people involved and and giving them like a trade union over there. We're just going to leave the strongest economy to uh, knock everyone around, which is China. So we got that. He's also worried about job creation and you know, they had to lay off 200 people, like we said. So, and they expect sales to be down since they legitimately pumped up last year's numbers and they're admitting to that and it's coming to bite them in the ass. They're wondering about what sort of programs are we going to really bring manufacturing back here to the States? If so, what does that mean for their buying and materials prices and things like that? I mean, are Harley's going to go through the roof price wise? I want to know because if you're, 
not allowed to outsource to the cheapest parts. Like, what if you weren't allowed to build your bike on eBay? What if you had to go to the dealership and pay exorbitant prices for every single thing you wanted? You know, you're trying to build a race bike and you have to buy the factory kits. So I think they're worried about stuff like that, not on that level, but sort of. I mean, you get the idea, the general idea, but there's a lot of delicate things uh, going on with that. So that's one thing that's happening with Harley. Another thing that's happening with Harley is that they announced that they're going to be building 50 bikes over the next five years. I'd like to talk about how I think that's going to happen. All right. So we know that Harley Davidson plans to offer 50 bikes over the next five years. And here the, here's how they're going to do that. They're going to offer the same bikes they've been offering for the last 10 years. But what they're going to do is they're going to use their Milwaukee 8 and call it brand new. And here um, here's an example right here from bizjournals.com. They interviewed Matt Levitich, who's the CEO of Harley Davidson. And I quote... The success we saw with the launch of the Milwaukee 8 engine is a sign of the innovation we have in place. We're confident our 2018 line will also help sales, he said. I have never been more excited about the products in our pipeline. End quote. So basically, the Milwaukee 8, what's going to happen, that's going to trickle down to the rest of the baggers that didn't get it. It's also going to trickle down to the Dinas and possibly the Softtails. And basically, that's going to be considered new bike. They're also going to do a bunch of S models is what I assume. Right now, we have the Fatboy S, the Lowrider S, and the Softtail Slim S. In the next year, we can look forward to the Breakout S, the Softail Deluxe S. Maybe they'll reintroduce some stuff like the Deuce or some, you know, Springer models that haven't been around for a while. They used to have the Springer Softail Classic, the Springer Softail Custom. Then they had the Soft Bones for a while and the Crossbones. So maybe they'll resurrect a Springer model. Maybe we'll see the Night Train come back. Who knows? Maybe we'll see some of these models that went away make a comeback that's not unlike harley davidson sometimes they do it with the cvo models you'll see a model that hasn't been out for oh let's say you know five years will make a comeback as a cvo might trickle back into the line or vice versa something that's new like the breakout then they had the pro street breakout which i believe was a cvo model i should know this because i work with that stuff at work and I'm just forgetting but that is my opinion when I see when I go to the motorcycle shows or I look at their stuff and I see the S models and it's basically just the base model which Harley Davidson doesn't like you to call them base models all models are equal so the S model and the regular model there's not a there's not a preferred it's a package I guess so what you're looking at is just the same bike with just P&A parts which is parts of an accessory catalog thrown at it and everything's blacked out right and in the case of the lowrider s i do have to admit that that was pretty sick they threw a fairing they you know that bike actually did look like a different model than the lowrider with those wheels and everything and the, the fairing on it so but the thing is it's basically the same bike just different part numbers you know for all the black parts so that's what we're gonna see on those bikes if they do get rid of the v rods um which i'm i've heard that they are it's rumored but uh, you know, I guess it depends on the sales of those things. 
they already have 30, I think I counted 36 bikes or 34 bikes. If they get rid of the V rods, they'll have 34 or 32. And so another thing they've done is they forever had street glides. They had road glides. Well, now they have a street glide special road glide ultra. So what they do with is they're going to get more baggers and just throw a box on the back and call it a special or an ultra and then throw some black parts in that and then you'll have an ultra s and lower it and you'll have an ultra low throw some bags on the freewheeler and all of a sudden you have a freewheeler ultra you know you have some five different trikes the cvos they already rotate around uh you know every couple of years they'll keep one main one like the limited and then they'll swap out the lower ones they only do like a two-year run on them or three-year run depending and so that'll you know, over five years, they're saying 50 bikes. Well, shoot, they probably already come close to 40 with the, if you consider that they swap out the CBOs every year and bring and drop models every other year. Like I imagine they could make the Sportster 72S or bring back the switchback, which I believe they got rid of. So stuff like that, you know. I think the live wire also falls within that time frame from last year when they said it was going to be five years to market. So if you consider that that may be in the market in five years, that also adds one to their roster. So not going to be real hard to do considering that I don't expect anything real to come out of Harley Davidson um, except for adding some new motors and some S packages, calling them new bikes. Another point that the Biz Journal's article stated is that Harley-Davidson is going to try to focus more on converting drivers to riders. And that's something that we talked about uh, and Brian and I talked about at length. That we, we talked for quite a while, actually, and I edited a lot of it out because it was not relevant to the show per se. But we did talk a lot about, uh, you know, what it what the marketing stuff means and, and what developing the market means. And we'll get into that in a second. but here's my, I'm, I'm afraid for my job. I'm, I'm just afraid that in a few years there won't be any bikes to write. You know what I mean? I'm afraid that there just won't be any, not parts to sell, but I'm just afraid of what's happening to the market right now because the median age of riders is getting older and older. And, uh, I talked to Bri about this. I, I actually mentioned this earlier and edited it out cause I didn't think it was relevant, but the more I read about this stuff, the more it seems relevant and the way that we're engaging people and getting them into motorcycles, people that aren't millennials, um, you know, it's kind of scary it's not like doom and gloom, I don't think, but it is a shift. It's a trend and it's something that people are going to have to figure out before it is doom and gloom. You know what I'm saying? So with that in mind, I'd like to talk about how do you engage people? How do you, you know, I, I want to tease this theory of building bikes and getting into bikes. How do you get someone into bikes first off? I have this kooky idea that you quit calling, you know, back in the eighties, you called stuff like the ninja, but what was hot in the eighties? Dude, there was like 18,000 ninja warrior movies out in the eighties. There were, you know, a bunch of karate kid movies out in the eighties. And I mean, you couldn't shake a stick at Hollywood without a ninja movie falling out of the tree. So we had bikes like the ninja and the katana and, Stuff like that, you know, shaking even the even the name Suzuki, you know, Japanese bike names sounded so cool. Uh, manufacturer names, I'm saying. So I'm thinking we make a bike called like the Crowder or the iBike 
or, you know, the something like that, the tweeter, I don't know, the Instagrammer. You can't, we can't call it a, a company name, but you know, we need something like that that sounds social, that sounds fun, that sounds like an app, but we can't call a bike an apper because that just sounds really stupid. But maybe it's all in the name, right? Is it all in the name? Because going back to the Biz Journal's article and quoting Matt Levitich again, quote, we do not just build motorcycles, we build drivers too. We're focusing on the next generation of riders. We want to add more dealers overseas and grow riders here in the United States, reaching out to new markets, including younger riders, women, African-Americans, and Hispanics, end quote. So they're not just a motorcycle, they're a brand, and they're trying to get that brand image out across, you know, the oceans, if you if you will. And so it's, it's very interesting, very interesting what's going on in the business and political world as far as motorcycles are concerned right now for us as riders. What does that mean for us as builders and people looking forward to the future of motorcycling? Well, let's ask a professional. I have a top professional in the motorcycle industry, Mr. A. Noose here. Mr. Noose, in your professional opinion, what will the future of motorcycling and building and customization be? While we here at Creative Writing don't always share the opinions of professionals and individuals that come on our show, I have to agree with Mr. Noose that it's probably not going to be that great in the future to swap out a box for, you know, when nowadays you're thinking of wrenching on a machine and cutting it up and this and that, you may be able to cut it up a tad bit, but, you know, replacing the carb, no, replacing the fuel injector module, I don't know. Everybody, when I was working at a body shop, would always, they were all, they grew up in the, in the 80s and the 70s with hot rods and all this stuff. And they would always joke around with me because I'd go to the import drags and whatnot. And they would ask me what the hot rod was going to be of my generation, a Honda Civic when, you know, they're driving like these sweet Malibus and stuff. Well, it turns out, yes, it is actually Skyline GTRs are like all the rage. There are several rear wheel drive and all wheel drive cars that are today's hot rods. And pardon me, even the front wheel drive cars have a place in the history with the youth. And, you know, as I get older, I'll be remembering the Civic SIs that were blowing down the track, almost, you know, reaching uh, big giant V8 speeds. And probably now they are. I haven't watched drag racing in quite a while. I saw quite a few Volkswagen bugs. I mean, those, those have been drag raced forever. So that kind of doesn't count. But still, those things were pulling like six seconds, you know, keeping up with these like massive naturally aspirated JBA factory, uh, you know, <laughs> Mustangs that were, you know, just had heaps of horsepower. So I don't know. There's, there's things like that, The you know, obviously there's Mustangs and Corvettes and stuff will always be the hot rod, but you know, maybe, maybe in a few years swapping out a mod, an ECU for an ECU and, and not necessarily doing all the crazy wiring. Um, I mean, vintage bikes, they're still cool. They're still making the pages of blogs like bike XF and others now that there aren't like literal pages, hardly that much anymore, but you know, the vintage thing pretty, it will die eventually. It will die unless you have a super, super popular model that they're still going to make parts for in China. Or somewhere overseas, you know, perhaps in Japan, it's sort of like a old Chevy where you could get a part from like a 50s Chevy all the way to like a 90s Chevy and it would fit. 
There may be stuff like that, but for you know the most part, they're going to quit making stuff, and it's get, getting harder and harder to find parts for vintage bikes. So I've been getting hit up on Facebook uh, by a bunch of people that are doing stuff to their a little bit more modern bikes, but one of the f- most fun people I've recent talked recently talked to or recent talked to, however you like to say it, is uh, Oki McCloskey, and I, I noticed Oki's bike. And Oki sent me a picture of Oki's bike and me likey Oki's bike. Oki has an 88NX650, which is starting to look a little bit like a supermoto. A supermoto the bike XF should be knocking on Oki's door here pretty darn soon. Got a brown leather seat, number plate, headlight. It's legit. So, yeah, he or she, he or she was showing me the tires on this thing because I had talked about how I spotted somebody's tires in a picture online. And of course they were going the wrong way. Well, Oki sent me a picture of their bike and right there on the tire, it says if it's mounted on the front, spin it this way. If it's mounted on the rear, spin it this way. So, uh, that's on the rear tire. So on the front tire match the tread pattern and the tire is spinning backwards. So I guess it's not always wrong to build it backwards, but that's the great part about being a builder. No, you learn something every day. So I'm not a huge tire connoisseur. So I was uh, grateful to get those picks, but also the bike looks so rad. So I was asking Oki, what is the, you know, a tip for becoming a builder? Like, how did you get started on that thing? Do you have any cool tips right off the top of your head? Oki made a point, which is basically the one of the most contentious things about building your first bike or building a bike is, uh, I'd say the quote from Oki, I'd say the biggest obstacle I see in my bike friends is the initial jump. It takes guts to rip into your perfectly fine bike or to buy a piece of shit project bike. So learning to nut up and get dirty is important. I wholeheartedly agree, Oki. That is something, you know, buying a bike for a hundred bucks and realizing you're probably going to put 2000 into it to make it worthwhile, you know, to make it uh, worth the bike that you should have just spent 2000 bucks on. That takes guts. And the only thing, you know, it sucks being poor. It sucks being a poor builder. I myself am like a starving student, starving artist, starving builder, whatever you, you know, you may align yourself with one of those. I am the latter. So starving builder being that, you know, very little spare money to go into the bikes. And then of course, if I'm riding my other bikes and breaking them all the time and sinking money into them, like my new clutch, my new carb kit that I had to buy, um, and other upgrades you want to do to them, you're actually only putting like a Starbucks cup of coffee into your bike every month or so, right? So yeah, that is true. Taking a perfectly good bike and deciding to hack it up or something you could like, oh man, I could get some parts for this on eBay. Why am I hacking this thing up? Well, because you want to make it yours, my friend. Stock versus squares. (laughs) I know what stock is for squares. It's just funny. So yeah, the second thing was uh, the best tool that you will find that's completely free but honestly worth a lot is a parts fiche. I've used it daily for months when trying to upgrade certain parts with components from new bikes. And I agree, uh, there's several online parts fiches. Um, you know, I, I could I could tell you a ton of them. And the cool thing is that some of them, uh, you know, there's private ones that dealers use and we don't have access to, but through the world of the magical internet, lots of dealers are willing to let you look in and, and, uh, 
not dealers per se, but you know, online dealers and stuff, they want you to be able to pick your right part and pick uh, what you know, your bike and select all that stuff. But some of them have search options where you can search that part number and voila, boom, it magically pops up every modicle modicle. You know what I meant to say there? I'm not going to correct myself, but yeah, you know, parts fiches definitely are a super invaluable tool and they can help you price stuff. They could help you find stuff. They could help you a lot of times figure out what they're replacing a part with because they will have a superseded part number there since they want to sell it to you. And obviously the old one's not being made. So uh, another thing is uh, directly quoted from Oki here is another underrated tool is eBay sellers. These dudes are usually really awesome, super helpful, and really understanding. Need some measurements? Hey, find a part on eBay and message the seller asking for dimensions. And I can't agree more. Not only if somebody's will, wanting to sell something, they don't want to get negative feedback. They don't want to ship something, you know, pay to ship something out and then you're going to return it and they have to relist it and reship it. I mean, you know, these guys want to make sure that you're satisfied. That makes them satisfied. It's all part of good customer service, right? So, yeah, I agree with Oki there and the last two things that I have bought for my bike have been off of eBay. Another cool thing is that when you're dealing with eBay things uh, or eBay stores, a lot of them are local to me. Some are in Japan. And to get these parts from the dealer, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. You know, the dealer has usually higher overhead where eBay guys might have just a garage full of parts, or they might be a store that's selling spares or extras or NOS parts or whatever. So you really do get to, I mean, I love supporting your brick and mortar and your local stores so that your town doesn't just wind up Amazon, uh, warehouses and Walmarts, but at the same time, like it is an invaluable tool to be able to search the internet and then find that part no matter where it is and go ahead and bid on it. Cause you are helping somebody somewhere at least. Uh, and you're not, you know, going to Amazon or whatever, who's making money off of, uh, transactions between two people and then flying their drones all over. So yeah, there's always that, but yes, I agree. And Oki, uh, also got another XR 100 and started racing supermoto and hurt their ankle. That was a couple weeks ago. So Oki, I hope the ankle's getting better and I hope that you're still hacking away on that uh, 650. Um, I'll, I'd like to share some of those pictures with you. Uh, maybe I will get that up when I get my post out about building a bike. And talking about building bikes and making it yours, what, and we were talking earlier about engaging, you know, new people to come into the market and experience being a biker, a rider, and a builder. How did we used to get people engaged? Usually we started out on a dirt bike because America was a lot more rural and there were places to get people to ride and they'd graduate to a street bike and that street bike was usually something cool. Going back to what I said earlier about all the ninja movies and having a bike called the ninja and the katana, I can look back to the 80s and remember my neighbor having a dirt bike and then graduating to motorcycles in general and I think that's kind of the way we do it. And Bri Viffer and I talked a little bit about that. We actually kind of rambled on a little bit about everything, but we eventually got there and we eventually got into, you know, making a bike yours and finding a brand that fits you. And that kind of segues into our building a bike segment. So let's go back to the 80s with BV. In the 80s is 
eighties or yeah, late eighties, early nineties when the when the sport bikes just started getting big. You know, the um, when the Ninja came out, um, you know that that kind of started it because even the um, I think because that's the first one that really had like a name that people could get behind. And I, I remember when uh, uh, um, uh, a friend or a, uh, someone I knew rolled up the street in a, in a brand new Ninja, and that was like, I mean, that was crazy, you know. And but because before that, um, the the power bike was like a, a GS one thousand, but it. You know, it, it but it looked like a standard bike. You know, it was this you know a, a sit up bike and you know handlebars, and then the Ninja comes rolling through and you know with clip on and full plastic and and it it just looked totally different. That um, and I'm not sure what was before that. Like uh, GSX, uh, uh, I don't think there was GSXR yet. Uh, I think there was a Katana out then. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe maybe the the Hur- Honda Hurricane the the six hundred and the one thousand I I'm, I think those were maybe a little bit after the Ninja maybe I'm I'm not sure yeah my timeline's blurry there too but yeah like the first like fairings start popping up on bikes yeah yeah and yeah and that's when it that's when they started to kind of take off and and get a little more traction just with um, like the the mid twenty year olds. Uh, that could get bikes. Um, but cause I, I mean, even my first fully fared bike was, um, uh, the, the VF 700, you know, which was a, a anemic type sport bike, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, it was down on power and, and it was nothing to brag about, but, um, uh, but it, it that was like the, really at the, at the beginning of it. Um, but the, um, still, you know, Harleys were the the bike to have the the Sportsters, and from what I remember, just that's what everyone that's what everyone wanted their first street bike to be. Uh, now, you know, it wasn't until um, I, I mean, I I you know, I moved out to California in the mid '90s, um, so it was just a it was a big shift, and you know, so by the time I moved out here, sport bikes were come you know were well on their way and, and, you know, the, um, GSXRs and the, um, uh, um, and then, you know, then the R1 rolled around. And so that, that's when they really got traction and, and took off. And now it's like, um, if you want a, a performance bike, then, I mean, the last thing you're going to look at is a Harley. Those oh, are yeah. all about image and, you know, not a whole lot of performance. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to, you know, Liza on their on the last Misfits podcast talking about, you know, yeah, three, five, eight thousand dollars. You got to do the cams. You got to do this and that. And we're talking like stock Harleys with a eighteen hundred and some odd cubic uh, CC. I mean, if you're going by cubic inch, I, I always have trouble, but it's like eighteen hundred CCs, you know, and they're getting like 80 horsepower. And you're like, man, like, uh a hopped up DRZ 400 or, you know, or 650, you could get 80 horsepower out of, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. just funny. But, you know, but what she was saying, like, I mean, I, I kind of get where she was going, but I think she was, she was talking about if you're trying to get like, um, the most possible performance, 
you know, that she was saying, well, go out and, you know, first get a bike that's like top of the line and then yeah. go from there. But, uh, but, for, but like the way I look at it is like, I, I want a certain bike, you know, and, and then yeah. from there, I want to try and make that bike the best it can be. I, yeah. I don't necessarily want it, want it to compete with the latest and greatest thing. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I, I have my interceptor and, and I put a pipe on it because I just like the way it sounds. You know, I, I don't want something that if I wanted something to, to go a lot faster, then, yeah, I'd, I'd probably start with a, a faster bike. <laughs> but, I, you know, there's when you look for a bike, you, you the first thing that appeals to you is, is how that bike looks or, you know, the feeling it gives you. And then after that, you kind of tweak it to your own personal taste it, you know I, I think she was like she was going off on on some of the guys that that start with like a uh, i forget some of the examples she used but you know they start with something mediocre and then they try and hop it up you know seven ways from sunday <laughs> and, and you know they're they're still going to get blown away from you know by the the guy that rolls down the street in the stock uh you know into 600 right yeah you're not going to see a bunch of like soft tails lining up against you know like a busa at a, at a stoplight or anything wow. or yeah even a 600 you know what i mean like those probably make double what a harley makes but yeah i get it i saw this guy uh the same same uh day as the races um on a harley and he was in front of me at a stoplight and man he took the next couple of court like leaving the stoplight he was dragging peg with that thing it was a sporty i i didn't see exactly what um, model it was but he was riding that thing giving it hell you know and i was thinking i get and it's all how you ride it because he was a younger guy and he wasn't taking it easy he was i mean i i've seen dudes on sport bikes not lean that far over coming off a green light you know and he was just like uh-uh you know on it and dragging peg uh through the intersection off a of green light turning. So I was like, man, I guess it's just how you ride it too. Yep. You know, uh, you know, those, uh, some of those pictures I sent you from the Biltwell thing, mm-hmm. those old rat bikes and like custom jobbers there. Um, when I used to make the commute, uh, back and forth from, from, uh, Marietta to Irvine every once in a while, or, you know, over the past few years, there was, there was one guy on a, on a real rat added out bike like that. And, and, uh, you know, just an old school Harley, like a, uh, I mean, real old looking like a knucklehead or something and stripped down and chopped up. And he was flying on that thing. I mean, just blowing through traffic and I mean, hauling ass. And yeah. he, I mean, I, I don't know about cornering cause we were just on the freeway, but man, he would just blow through traffic like nothing. So yeah, I mean, some, some guys can hang with, uh, yeah. you know, even, even on those yeah, there's a, a guy at my work who's a little bit older, and he has restored some Harleys beautifully. He's got some old pristine baggers with all the – he told me it had probably about 600 pounds of chrome on the thing and how ridiculous they were, but he restored it back to – you know, it was like a 58 or something, one of the old big uh, you know, show pieces. But he also had – a Buell. And when I first started working for the company I work for and I saw that thing rolling out of the parking lot, he almost blew my head off when he revved it. You know, just that thing was a monster. It was the S one, uh, lightning, one of the, you know, the tube frames. 
And man, yep. he would just pop wheelies out of the parking lot and like that thing would be setting car alarms off just idling down, right? And so I was like, man, he's always loved Harleys and he's got a FXR that he uh, just restored and that thing looks pretty bad and it looks like, I want to say that it looks like something that you would find in one of like the big twins road racing back in the 80s maybe, you know what I mean? Where it's like one of the naked bikes that was a standard slash sport bike when you took it to the track and raced it you just threw a number plate on the front right like a boulder yeah. sort of bike one of those um and yeah so i'm like you know and i and i i know i watched on uh i i loved the xr 1200 racing that the ama just you know did away with a couple couple years ago i think 2014 was probably the last year for that but those XRs, you know, they were hogs. They were not good. They were heavy and big and fat, but they were a racing Harley. And I love that they were trying to road race them and that they had their own class because they knew not competitive against anything else. But it was fun to see those guys horse them around and see those guys dicing it. And the racing to me was a lot closer because of the parity between them where you didn't have a brand with like all this technology versus it. you just had dudes on the same bikes, almost like a race of champions, right? Yep. And uh, so I started looking because I was like, you know, I know they used to have 883 Roadster. I know they used to have kind of more sporty looking sportsters back in the day. And uh, sure enough, I found online somebody had got some 883R Cup footage and they were racing 883Rs on a road course. And of course, they didn't look like a sports bike. So when we use today's brain and we look back at it, we're going, that doesn't fit. And it didn't even look like a sport bike from the time. Cause I mean, this is like early, late nineties, early two thousands when we had, like you're saying, katanas and ninjas there and everything at that time, it just, it didn't look right. And it, and it still didn't look right knowing that you know, it wasn't really a sport bike, but I was like, at least they used to try it. At least they used to take these things out and huck them around a course and see what they could do. Totally uncompetitive against any other style of bike, but that's why they had these cups. And, um, yeah, just it proves that you could, you used to be able to road race them and get them in kit form, you know, before everybody started getting old. I think that's what's happened is just that everybody is aging out and all these fears that everybody has about millennials not getting engaged in this and that, maybe it's founded in the fact that they've been seeing this trend for like that. Nobody want nobody wants to road race a Harley anymore. They just want to ride them because they graduate up. Uh, like my coworker, he always rode sport bikes ever since I've known him. Um, different coworker, not the guy with the Harleys, but a different guy, younger guy who's like my age, I think. Like I think our age. And um, moved from had three or four different sport bikes just since I've worked at that company. And now he bought a Harley last year. And I said, welcome to the parts and accessories catalog, my friend. And that's the first thing he did is he like started buying accessories for it. And then he went on some ride the other day and he's like talking about the sporty boys that were there. And I was like, dude, last year that was you. You had an FZ07 and now you're calling them sporty boys and like totally changed. You know, he likes drinking the Kool-Aid right off the showroom floor. And I was like, it's that thing. There's that, that brand thing. And, and the thing where you get old and you don't want to hunt, hunt, yeah, you don't want to hunch over the bike anymore, so you get a Harley because it's a couch, and now you're in the club. The Yamaha Bolt, you know, I mean, it's a it's it's a decent looking entry level bike, um, 
but like I, I remember the first time I saw it, it just reminded me of, of the Yamaha Virago from from way back in the, the like the the eighties or nineties when it was, it's just a really low cruiser type of bike, and I mean very unassuming, and I mean that bike for as a cruiser goes, it, it had a decent style, and I guess it, that was kind of like a like the Sportster, you know the where you can get like a real low seat on the the 883, um, and I mean it, it didn't look intimidating, you know. Uh, but even you know the uh, even like the you know the old Rebel 250 and and uh, you know things that they 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 make these bikes that that they try to make them for uh, to to get people into it. Like even the um, the all the CB 500s that came out, the three styles of CB 500, the the like the Transalp and the, the the sport bike looking one, yeah. and the standard looking. There was that, and then, uh, yeah. There was an X, a F, and a R or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, they tried. Then that was just like I, I think I just saw those um, not this past year, but the year before at, at the Long Beach show. Yeah, and then you know it seemed like the five hundred, you know, was going to be the entry level bike, and that was similar to the to the Bolt that came out, and then like six months later all the all the 250s and 300s were out you know the sport bike looking ones and so it's like they're they're trying everything they can to get um the you know the new riders involved and um but it's like those those are the perfect bikes for the for the new riders and granted everyone i've ever known that started out on a a 250 has sold it within a year you know they they outgrow it quick um but so then they start marketing it to like, well, it's a it's a great track bike too, you know. I mean, it, it's it's a cheap way to to get to the track, just tape up the lights, and and there you go. So it's it's good entertainment, you know, and, and recreation. It doesn't have to necessarily be just your your commuter because it. I mean, it those are great if if you do have like a five or ten mile commute back and forth to work, it can save you a lot of gas, but. The, unless you're on the track and like really pushing those things around, I think they they kind of lose their fun factor because they you know they're they're you wind them out just you know getting on the highway. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a lot of people once you get used to a bike, you, you want a little more juice and you know you want to you want know, to you want to feel the the muscle behind it. Yeah, they're not fun to commute on after your first like long commute even probably just starting out you're like dude screw this like that's the first thing i thought when i rode mine to vegas i was like i kind of as a novel idea wanted to kind of go around on this thing just to be fun you know no i'm gonna take one of the bigger bikes if i'm gonna go any distance because yeah 85 miles an hour and you're vibrating to pieces and you're like why am what bad choice i have made (laughs) but yeah speaking of the track days and like pushing them though I, I have seen that i have seen a lot of cups or like racing series specifically for smaller displacement bikes because yep. they're so nimble on the track and they're cheap and it's easy i mean you're going to spend as much on your set of leathers and like protective gear as you are on your bike so there you go yep. for that you know for that price you get to get in on racing and somebody was trying to tell me yeah you ought to come join the um chuck walla you know out there in the desert yeah i I raced there i started on a ninja 250 and that's why is because there's a but there's a class for it and it's he said 
you know, basically what I just said, your leathers are going to cost you already like 1900 bucks. Why not just pick up a used one? And for the price of, you know, 500 or six, use 600 or something, you get the whole package. You don't have to go buy any more junk. And they're so nimble. You wouldn't believe like we're passing dudes on thousands in the corners, you know, then you get on the straights and you get blown away, but they're just that much fun because you just never let off the gas. And like you said, you're pushing it where you wouldn't do that. Like definitely not on the street. And when you get on the highway and it's just straight and you're just like pinned and you're like, yeah, this is not any fun anymore. But yeah, yeah, I think it's funny too. Um, you know that they didn't kill the rebel. They kind of resurrected it with that new like weird 500 and 300. So they keep using that 500 motor that you were talking about. And it complies with a bunch of power to weight ratio stuff that other countries have. Because I was wondering how people are getting Harley 883s and stuff. And I I learned that it's not necessarily displacement anymore in all countries. It's a power to weight ratio. So that's when your 50 horsepower or 60 horsepower Harley is actually like a benefit, you know, is it, yeah. it's so low on power is that you can use it as a starter bike if, even though it's 800. So it's like, yeah, I guess it makes sense for some markets, but yeah, it, it's just interesting and funny how everything we've mentioned so far just kind of keeps tying together into one, like, you know, tying together into like one theme, I guess, you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting, but yeah, no, I um, I agree with your earlier statement about the bike and the power and even a starter bike and all that stuff is that, yeah, you got to get what you, you have to get something that appeals to you or you're not going to want to ride at all. It's kind of like I, somebody said about exercises, it doesn't really matter what you do at first, just do what's going to get you moving, you know, so kind of like the same thing on a bike, just get something that's going to get you riding and like it and yeah if it is a crappy harley that you want to throw eight thousand dollars to get seven horsepower then that's your yeah and it you know every little thing probably makes you feel that much better like it's yours you know you're making it yours and all that so i guess yeah i never really thought of that i i always kind of thought of her perspective of like the power thing like you're gonna throw a lot of money to get very little power when you can buy a S one thousand RR for what a Dyna or what you know yeah I guess like right around what a Dyna costs and you already got like close to a two hundred horsepower <laughs> right there. Yeah. Well, but yeah, if it, if it's power you're after, then that's where you start. Like I was reading some of the bios on the um, uh, the um, the WIR uh, guys. That, um, <laughs> that you're friends with and and i mean it's the same thing it's like that you see it over and over again it's like that um they they usually end up like they they start road racing on whatever they can and or, uh you know they start um drag racing on whatever they can but then eventually it's hayabusa you know yeah and so many guys and you know because that you know that's that's the big that's what's going to put up the big numbers and you can you know you can really you know dial them in and 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 boost them up and you know that that and then you know to Liza's point if if you're really looking for performance then you start with something and then work with that but don't you know don't think you're going to get a um like a an r1 and think it's going to compete with a with a Hayabusa you know I mean that it's you know so much just more motor that that you can dial in yeah oh yeah and then 
turbo and NOS and everything on top of like an already super fast production bike. Yeah. You're, you're not, uh, you don't have much to go from, <laughs> except for making sure it doesn't blow up on you at that point. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah. And it's even, you know, even the guys that drag race Harleys and stuff, you got to understand that they're starting from like the V rod destroyer, special crate only motor, you know, race only. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's like get, getting a, a funny car at that point where it's like, you know, yeah, it's not really a Harley at that point. But yeah, no, it's, yeah, that makes sense. That's funny. So, yeah, I'm glad I got to talk to you about those couple of things because I know it is it is funny hearing so many people on a podcast, especially. I love being able to reach out, but it is getting to the point where people are probably screaming at the speakers and they're like, I want, oh man, everybody's been leaving a lot of feedback every week. Oh, that was, hey man, this is, you know, whatever you said, this issue, like, you know, I, I try to cover three different things at least for each show. And yeah. like there's, there'll be feedback, three different feedbacks for each one for every show. It's like, oh, I wish I was there. I could have told you. Or, hey, I was this age when this was happening. I know exactly what you were talking about. You got it a little wrong. So it's really cool uh, kind well, of doing yeah. And that's exactly like I, I start listening to your to your podcast, and then I've got like a notebook. I'm starting to write stuff down, and then I'm like, oh, write about this. And, but then I'm like, and I and I'll, I'll I'll email it to you, but I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's not timely anymore because I, you know, I, I want you to go on to the next subject too because I want to hear the next thing that you have to talk about. I don't want to always have you know always feel like I'm you know dragging up the the past and and stuff you've already covered, but. I just want. I usually want to just kind of throw in my my two cents type of thing, but but yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it's kind of neat being able to uh, chat with you too. Yeah, and I figured a lot of people do that, and that's why I kind of that's why my episodes don't make it very far because I kind of keep covering an overlap of the same. It's like mowing the lawn, basically. I have to re readdress because I want people to know that, yeah, okay, you, I'm listening to what you're saying and either they corrected me or filled in a blank or I just knew something about this because, you know, in the annals of my memory somewhere, you know, I remember reading something, but I, I couldn't find it again or it's not exactly current in my mind. And all these people just come forward and fill in the gaps or like, make a finer point than I can. Cause a lot of times I'm just, you know, rambling off of five different things and I've been working with motorcycles all day and it's really the last thing I want to be talking about, but <laughs> I just, you know, and it's like, okay, well I, I need to get this out or else my brain's going to explode. So then, you know, I don't make a really succinct, succinct point. And uh, a lot of times people can say what I'm trying to say better. So it is, I, I do like the feedback and, and uh, cool. I'm glad you got the ability to, Come on and, you know, say a little bit of, you know, I don't even know what last episode was about, to be honest. I forget what I talked about, but. <laughs> uh, a little bit of everything, I think, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how they that's how they tend to go. So there you have it, folks. We kind of got around to it, kind of got it to picking your bike. Got a couple tips on how to start building a bike. And when we get the article finally written we'll go into depth into it on our article maybe we'll actually get to some bike updates i've been telling you about them forever but i've never actually told you what they are so we'd like to apologize to the following people creative writing and his associates would like to extend their warmest apologies to kawasaki ninja 
Kawasaki Katana, GS1000, Ivy League Flat Track, Brian Bell and the whole crew, the GSXR, Honda Hurricane, Mark Atkins, Rusty Butcher, Kenny Colbeth Jr., Harley Davidson and Indian Motor Companies, Matt Levitich, President Trump, California, Motorcycles and Misfits Podcast and Wonderful Host Liza. We'd like to say sorry to Oki McCloskey, DRZ 450s and 650s, the Harley Davidson XR1200 and the XR1200 Race Series, the AMA, American Flat Track and American Flat Track Productions. Sorry to Jake Johnson, Brandon Robinson, the Harley Davidson 883R and 883R Cup. Uh, we'd like to apologize to Aaron Colton, JD Beach, Alan. Will, you, you know who you are. The Del Mar Arena, Del Mar Flat Track, and the city of Del Mar. Rusty Butcher, SNS Performance, Suicide Machine Company, Yamaha Motorcycle Company, Microfiches, eBay, the Yamaha Bolt, and Virago, the Honda Rebel. Our apologies to Bri Vifford. Thank you so much for coming on again, Bri, and wasting a perfectly good hour and a half of your life. Sorry to Paris Auto Speedway, Paris Raceway, Glen Helen Raceway, Daytona International Speedway, Jared Meese, Brad Baker, Chuck Waller Raceway, Brian Smith, and anyone who may have been offended by this show, and all of you should be. Until next time. <laughs> Eat it back. You know what I'm going to say. Bye. this back and see how horrible it sounds or how good it sounds oh my god i forgot to press record dude man what what about all the cool old guys that like to ride sport bikes still <laughs> the the um can you pass some of that through the screen really you know what i mean and so basically uh harley announced on monday hold on to your horses so that you know, speaks for itself right there. It's basically the oldest continuous form of motorcycle racing, much, you know, older than that. Their new team is going to consist of, I'm sorry, they announced on um, Saturday, even scrambles and stuff like that over here. And he's a great guy. And uh, we'll catch up with him later. Very, uh, um, and we, the, 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 got a whole, you know, and then takes track of this. I'm not Mayan. You know, the Mayans were all about that stuff. I, that wasn't, uh, the, the solstice. I think it was actually the, um, equinox or something like that so you know you do it in an event you don't have proper medical staff or something like that like things get hairy i i went to one of their races at Glen helen and no ambulance you know 
there's the wambulance, but no, no proper ambulance. <laughs> and, uh,